Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technologies, ATRA, Sustainable Agriculture Program, with support from the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service. Hi, I'm Heather Lingle with NCAT. Thank you for joining us. In today's episode, NCAT staffer Rex Dufour interviews organic walnut farmer and processor Russ Lester at Dixon Ridge Farms in Winters, California. Russ shares some very practical thoughts about why he uses cover crops and explains how multifunctional cover crops are to his orchards. Rex Dufour has been a sustainable agriculture specialist with NCAT and ATRA since 1994 and opened NCAT's Western Regional Office in California in 2001. Let's listen. So, just brief background on the farm, uh, name of the farm, number of acres, what you farm, uh, how long you've been farming. Okay. Um, Well, this is Dixon Ridge Farms, and we primarily grow organic walnuts. We've been farming here since about 1975 when my dad bought this property. And then my wife and I bought it for my mom and my dad in about 79, and we've been here ever since. We have about 1,400 acres now uh, altogether, uh, all land that is farmable land. Uh, Of that land, about 900 we farm ourselves. And of that 900, about 550 or so acres we have in uh, trees, mostly all, almost all walnut trees. So brief overview of how you manage your soils, cover crops, use of okay. compost, returning hulls or whatever, you know, how do you manage your soils and, and the fertility of your soils? Sure. We, uh, we take a, what I call as a whole systems approach and it's actually very, very much holistically farming things. So for example, we don't just put a cover crop in the ground for fertility and fertilizer. We put a cover crop in the ground for for many, many reasons. Part of it's fertilizer because we use a leguminous cover crop, but also part of it is for water infiltration and also part of it is for soil matter, soil organic matter increase. Part of it is for insectary habitat for the beneficial insects that we want to attract. Part of it's for water conservation in the summertime by having a thick mulch on the surface we actually save quite a bit of water by doing that Um, so that's the kind of way we farm we don't just think in terms of real simple fertilizer only or fertility only we think in terms of whole systems and how we can make it all work better for the entire orchard great so part of uh, raising the walnuts the way we do with intensive cover crops and i use that word intentionally intensive because um, six months ago, this was maybe three feet thick of cover crops. You know, like I said, various kinds of legumes, vetches and clovers, but also some other kinds of plants that are just out here. And, uh, and then you see it now. And we basically, uh, in the last month, month and a half, have been you know, chopping up and shredding the, the cover crop. And this is what we have left. Um, and it's as it's been shredded, it's gotten to be less and less thickness. And as I said before, that thickness actually adds, acts as a mulch, which traps the moisture inside, but also provides a beneficial insect habitat for insects. When we harvest, we actually shake the entire tree and these walnuts fall onto the ground and we have to harvest them or we harvest them off the ground. Obviously, if we had that really thick mulch out here, we couldn't do a very good job of harvesting. It would be very, very difficult. 
to harvest it off the ground. So what you see is in preparation for harvest, we will be shaking these trees in maybe uh, a week or two. And um, we have to have this ground relatively you know, weed free, relatively mulch free, and then nice and flat so that the machinery can work the best. And what we do is we delay the harvest probably longer than most people do because we want this hole to be coming free of the nut out here instead of in our holer. It's called a holer because it actually will physically remove that hole if it's on there still when we harvest it. Well, we wanna have this thing fall into ground and the hole just fall off so that we can leave the holes out in the orchard as much as possible. Number one, we don't wanna haul all that material into the hauler and have to get rid of it, haul it back out here. But number two, it also returns the nutrients that are found in this hole back into the soil so that we're not removing those nutrients from the system. Uh, and that's important for us to do. The first thing we do is try to reuse re or remove as few, it's kind of like recycling, of the nutrients from the system that we possibly can so we don't have to make them up with compost or some other kinds of means. The other thing is when we do that very late and it hits the ground, it, we usually have a little bit of a lag time between the time that we actually shake it and it's on the ground and when we actually pick it up. And during that time period, this will dry out. You know, when it's in the hole, it stays moist and uh, that's what protects the, the meats on the inside of the walnut shell. But when it hits the ground, it becomes free and it starts drying out. We want to dry it out. We have to do it. We have to get it down to 8% moisture because if we don't, then we have a mold problem. And so we let the sun do that as much as we possibly can out here. Obviously, if it's going to rain, well, we can't do that. So we speed up harvest and uh, mm. we won't leave it out here because we don't want it to get wet again. Okay. So, yeah, talk about your cover crop, this mixture of six legumes and the pest control you get. The way we harvest is, I already talked about, knocking the walnuts onto the ground, letting them sit there, and then we sweep them into windrows where a machine then picks those windrows up, puts them into a trailer, then we take them into the hauler, we remove the hole if it's still on, we wash it up so that it's nice and clean, and then we put it in dryers and get it down to that 8% moisture that we need to make sure that it doesn't get moldy. A lot of people are concerned about cover crops like this because they think there's an awful lot that will be mixed in with the walnuts when they do it that way. And there'll be you know, trouble working with very, very large quantities of mulch. If you do it this way, you'll see that actually there's very little mulch that's in the windrow itself. And so as a consequence, it actually can be cleaner than if you were doing, trying to do so-called clean cultivation with chemicals because the grasses that escape those chemicals are frequently some of the most difficult grasses to decompose. The way we do it is we decompose these winter annual grasses and they're relatively easier to decompose. Additionally, the same thing is true for the legumes. We use a mixture of about six different main categories of legumes. Um, like I said, clovers and vetches. And the reason we have that mixture is because we find that certain uh, ones of these legumes will do better on certain years than other years. And we want this whole mixture of different things to be successful somehow. So if one isn't doing well this year, its buddy is doing well. And so we have that diversity. The other reason we do it is because in the springtime, their flowering schedules don't 
all come at the same time. And because we want to attract and keep beneficial insects in our orchard to control our pest problems, um, we want to actually provide food and habitat for those beneficial insects to be here and stay here. Most of those beneficial insects are wasps. And so just like a honeybee, they need nectar and they need pollen to complete their life cycle. And by having nectar and pollen for a greater period of time in the springtime, they can create more, uh, more life cycles and have more uh, beneficial insects out here to control our pest population. And that's critically important for us to do. Walnut husk fly, oh, coddling so consequence. Yeah. Uh, so as a consequence, things like walnut husk fly that actually overwinter and, and pupate out of the soil in the springtime and go back up into the tree, because we have all this cover crop out here and because it's full of all kinds of beneficial insects, not just the wasps, but also things like spiders and big-eyed bugs and millipedes and centipedes, that as soon as that guy emerges out of the soil, he becomes dinner for somebody you know, for the, or breakfast or lunch. And they eat all day long and all night long. So that's the way we basically control things like husfly. We basically have no husfly here. Uh, the somewhat the same thing true is uh, with uh, codling moth and navel orange worm is that those beneficial wasps will actually come up and control those, those insects by stinging and depositing their eggs inside of those insects. And those eggs then grow and literally eat the pest from the inside out. Sounds kind of gruesome, but it's kind of wonderful if you want to get rid of that pest. That's life. So can you talk about how this orchard fared compared to your neighbor's orchard during that, the what I call the Great Flood of Ot 6? So the Great Flood of Ot 6, um, there's, there's a couple of things I actually want to say. One is a number of few years ago, we had a really heavy rainfall for us during harvest. And during harvest, we don't want rainfall. Um, we really would love to have some more, you know, after harvest, but uh, we don't always have that luxury. So we had about four to five inches of rainfall in about a 24 hour time period during harvest. And because this um, is so heavy, with uh, organic matter in the soil and because the roots from all these legumes and all these various cover crops are here providing channels all the way down through the soil where other people were having walnuts literally floating out of the orchard into drainage ditches our area we didn't lose one drop of water outside of the growing area it all went into the ground and so as a consequence we kept all the walnuts here and we were able to get back out and harvest the walnuts and not lose them, you know, due to mold in a ditch someplace. The Great Flood of Ot 6 is basically, we had a tremendous amount of rainfall. This is more or less around New Year's of that year. And uh, every place was flooding. In fact, every uh, orchard up upstream of me uh, is was flooding and, and putting water down in the drain ditches that came into our property. And in addition to that, we had our own. Because of the quantity of cover crop, at that time the cover crop was probably a foot tall or so, and it does a couple of things. One is that as the drops fall down from the sky, they're not falling on bare ground, where then they actually can cause the soil to seal up because they're literally packing it, each little raindrop. 
um, they also basically it hits that vegetation first and slowly trickles through down to the soil. So that helps it from surface sealing. Then the roots take over and the organic matter in the soil takes over and allows all of that water to penetrate into the soil. So as I was saying earlier, one of many things that we grow our cover crop for is for that. We actually, since we have been growing this heavy, heavy cover crop, every high water incident like that, we have never shed a drop of water from this orchard. Meaning to, it hasn't run off hasn't away run off, off into this into the ditches yeah. and into the creek. And uh, that may not sound like a very important thing, but for us, because we're using groundwater here and because groundwater is critically important for us, you know, for water irrigation purposes, um, we want to capture all of the rainfall that we can possibly capture and then put it into the ground. And so that's why it's so important. I can show you photographs of other orchards where they have practiced clean cultivation and they shed a tremendous amount of water that just simply goes into the drainage ditches, carries with it a lot of sediment and perhaps chemicals and things like that and goes into our creeks and our rivers and out to the ocean and basically does not get back into the groundwater. Um, and so it's very important for us to recharge that groundwater. The number one storage by far place for water in California is in the ground. It's something like 40 times the capacity of all of our reservoirs in the state of California. So we really need to focus on recharging that reservoir because it's critically important and it doesn't have any evaporation off the surface. All of our reservoirs have approximately 20-25% water loss due to evaporation. In the ground, there is no such thing. Um, so by doing it, it's very efficient, but it also has a huge capacity without damming up valleys and, and storing water that way. Right, a lot cheaper. And we can do it a lot of times really simply. Everybody thinks about groundwater recharge as being a basin where you have gravel on the bottom and you're trying to percolate the water into the ground. You have to retire land and, and actively manage that basin so it continues to work into the future because every water basin, every lake uh, eventually seals up on the bottom to some degree sure. and it doesn't allow recharge to occur. So you can either do that naturally or you can do that unnaturally by taking machines in there and having to uh, make that recharge basin work better. This does it naturally. These roots, the soil organic material, the plants, all do exactly the same thing, but they do it for us without us spending any time and effort to do that. And this, this soil is fairly heavy clay. This is uh, kind of a little bit on the clay side, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but the reality is that even in sandy soils, they can, they can do that surface sealing. And because yeah. the particles align with impact of, of raindrops. But the other thing that it can do too uh, in sandier soils is that soil organic material uh, acts as a big sponge and it keeps the water in the soil so that then it's available for the trees. Uh, if it's pure sand or very, very sandy soils, it can pass beyond the root zone and then be not accessible to the trees to use. Yeah. Thank you for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. Please share this podcast if you can and take a moment to leave a comment. This really helps us get the word out about our sustainable agriculture programs.
And check out all of our sustainable agriculture resources at the ATRA website, www.atra.ncat.org. The links are in the notes that accompany this podcast. We'll catch you next week, and until then, keep on farming. <music>